welcome to the Republic of Middle-Aged Men. Uh, I was muted for a second there, sorry about that. Um, as usual, you have your three hosts. You have myself, Tim. Uh, you have Lachlan. G'day. And Ruben. Hey. Uh, for those watching, you'll notice that I am wearing Mickey Mousies. Uh, it's a tradition for me to wear a different hat every single episode. Um, last episode, I wore this Croatia hat, which I got when I was in Croatia. And today I'm wearing my Mickey Mouseies, uh, which I got in Disneyland Paris. So okay. it looks a bit ridiculous. I'm not sure that anyone ever in the world has read Plato whilst wearing Mickey Mouseies. This could be a world first. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't think we'll be beaten on that front somehow. Yeah. So you saw it here first. World first. Trailblazers. <laughs> yeah. Trailblazers. Very avant-garde. <laughs> all right speaking of traditions um the other tradition well one of the other traditions we have is we have a drink as we do this uh tonight i am trying out this beer that's um, a good one I like it's called a birra moretti it's an italian beer and i've already had two earlier today after i did all the mowing and it is good so mm. i'm about to crack that open what are you drinking Lachlan? Uh, I'm uh, going Australian with a uh, little creature's pale ale from Western Australia. Oop, can't get the angle right. Very yeah. nice. <laughs> I love little creatures. They're pretty much, yeah, they're up there. One of my favourites, I reckon. Yeah, pretty solid. Is it that good? Is it really that good? Yeah, well, I think so. Nice. And uh, what are you drinking, Ribs? Uh, I went Japanese. I've got a Kirin Megumi, which, um, I mean, if you don't know how to pronounce the Japanese word, you just say it like you're angry and it sounds cool. So, Kirin Megumi. Much better. Very good. That was excellent. I'm sure our um, Japanese teacher from school back in the day would be very happy with that. <laughs> she wasn't happy with me back in the day. I doubt she'd be happy with me now. <laughs> Oh, you never know. You have mellowed as you've gotten older. <laughs> yeah, when she right. said you were going to end up with a... Uh, oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, we all have the same copy of the book this time, which is fantastic. Um, so, I'm going to put it up on camera for people. It is this copy from Amazon, which is the Play-Doh Five Dialogues. And we're working through the apology. Um, just before we kick off on the book, the introduction. What did you guys make in the introduction? Lachlan, I'll, I'll start with you. Did you find it helpful or confusing? What were your thoughts? Uh, well, I think it was less of an introduction rather than a analysis of the, the full text, I think. So... <laughs> So I must admit, like, I read probably half of it and I thought, uh, this is sort of giving the game away too much for me. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop there because I want to kind of have, go into it with my own thoughts and, um, yeah, but look, I think that they started by setting the scene pretty well around, I suppose, what the, what the time was and what the significance was, but, um, I was keen to, keen to stop. So I didn't end up finishing it because I thought, uh, I just want to have my own views and have the discussion. So yeah um how about you ribbon you've, you've read the book before so maybe you didn't jump out you like that what, what were your thoughts 
Uh, I kind of found it a bit long-winded, so I, I didn't finish it either. I was just like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I did persevere. It was a bit long-winded, but I have underlined and highlighted some things in there. One of, one of the things that I did find interesting um, was that he points out that there were two passages and that they're the only ones in which Plato makes mention of himself. Yep. Um, I, I thought, oh, actually, that's a good point. It, it's I don't recall Plato really ever making mention of himself in the Republic. No, it doesn't come no. from the Republic. It's true. So, yeah, so I thought, okay, that's, that's interesting. I'll keep an eye out for that. And um, there's also a lot of opinion in there around, you know, Plato, this probably is like a an essence of what Socrates would have said rather than what he said. Mm, that, word for word. Yeah, and, which I can deal with, that's fine. Um, but then he kind of goes on to say that um, it's kind of normal for Plato to do. And um, I wasn't sure about that statement. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure Plato is generally pretty accurate. But what do you guys think? Uh, normal, I would say it's essential in the terms of there's no way he could do it word for word. Like, one, he probably wasn't present for some of the conversation, so it would have been off just what other people said he said. And then, two, it's not like he had a voice recorder, and I don't think paper and pen was, like, an option back then. So I, I can only assume that a lot of it is off memory. Yeah, it was this particular yeah. statement here where he says, um, Plato was not like Xenophon, a chronicler of facts. He does not appear in any of his writings to have aimed at literal accuracy. I think Randall yeah. Carson would disagree. <laughs> well, look, disagree I, 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 uh, this Randall Carlson would disagree because um, oh, right, he thinks yeah. Plato was being very accurate when he talks about things like Atlantis. But anyway, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> I think um, he's probably being like relatively accurate, um, I think, in what he's purporting. But at, at the same time, yeah, look, it's not a, a transcript. And yeah. um, he's mostly sort of presenting um, Socrates' sort of side of things because there were other um, speakers, so like the accusers who we'll get to later on, they did their own kind of addresses before sort of Socrates jumps in there, right? So uh, I guess maybe he doesn't want the the taint of that before, or maybe he just felt it wasn't relevant because it's all just BS and lies anyway. So let's just get to the good stuff. So like, I, I'll, take, yeah. I'll take the guy's point on the introduction, but um, look, I don't think it's necessarily... Um, super flowery but at the same time i guess you've got to take into account that you know socrates was his mentor uh, who he had like enormous respect for and um you know as much as anything i think he probably put this together to make sure that uh, his his life was remembered and that something was achieved by you know spoiler alert the sacrifice so yeah yeah, and just and in some respect, you, I mean, you could look at that a few different ways. But one way you could look at it is, well, he's not going to 
uh, embellish too much when he's trying to honor the man's memory. Yeah. Hmm. When truth was a core tenant of what it was all about, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's not trying to sell books. Like he wasn't doing it for money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep, for sure. All right, cool. Well, um, I think we'll make a start. So I'll read the first paragraph, which is a bit chunky. Um, and then we can discuss well, that and sort of work our way through it. Yeah, we'll do that. But um, just as like an opening, essentially, uh, Socrates has been dragged before the Greek court. Um, and he's been accused of not believing in the gods or atheism and also corrupting the use. So those are the two charges. And as Lachlan alluded to, they've obviously already laid out their case or at least what they call the indictment or the, the charge of all those two charges. And what, what we have here is um, Socrates' response to those accusations. And that's where he starts off. Yeah. Yeah, good, good introduction. Also, um, I could be wrong about the numbers, but the way it works is it's basically the there were, uh, the the argument was had in front of a, a crowd. And I think it was supposed to be 500 people, but I could be wrong about the numbers. Uh, and then at the end of it, there's a vote. And then that's how the, uh, that's how the guilt or not guilty is, is found. And then after that, there's an argument over what the correct punishment would be. Yeah. Okay. That's a, uh, a pretty decent size, uh, you know, jury to be sitting in on something. If it's sort of 500 people, you've got to convince, but yeah. Yeah. I remember cool. reading somewhere it's about 500, but I could be wrong about that. Um, maybe we'll look it up and clarify hmm. at a later day. Hmm. All right. Well, um, bear with me as I try and read this paragraph and I apologize to anyone listening who knows the correct, uh, pronunciation for everything i may get something it's wrong. all right dude i i before the episode i looked up an audiobook version on youtube and to be quite honest it was terrible so <laughs> actually lachlan was listening to a bit of it. it wasn't very good yeah it's um the fellow had a pretty strong accent as well which probably wasn't helping things but <laughs> yeah. well luckily i don't have any accent at all being an australian <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, I'll give this a crack. Let's see how we go. How you, O Athenians, have been affected by my accusers, I cannot tell. But I know that they almost made me forget who I was. So persuasively did they speak. And yet they have hardly uttered a word of truth. But of the many falsehoods told by them, there was one which quite amazed me. I mean, when they said that you should be open upon your guard and not allow yourselves to be deceived by the force of my eloquence. To say this, when they were certain to be detected as soon as I opened my lips and proved myself to be anything but a great speaker, did indeed appear to me most shameless, unless by the force of eloquence they mean the force of truth, for as such is in their meaning. I admit that I am eloquent, but in how different a way from theirs. Well, as I was saying, they have scarcely spoken the truth at all. But from me you shall hear the whole truth, not, however, delivered after their manner in a set oration duly ornamented with words and phrases. No, by heaven, 
but I shall use the words and arguments which occur to me at the moment, for I am confident in the justice of my cause, or I am certain that I am right in taking this course. At my time of life I ought not to be appearing before you, O men of Athens, in the character of a juvenile orator. Let no one expect it of me, and I must beg of you to grant me a favour. If I defend myself in my accustomed manner, and you hear me using the words which I have been in the habit of using in the Agora, at the tables of the money changers, or anywhere else, I would ask you not to be surprised, and not to interrupt me on this account, for I am more than seventy years of age, and appearing now for the first time in a court of law, I am quite a stranger to the language of the place, and therefore I would have you regard me as if I were really a stranger, whom you would excuse if he spoke in his native tongue, and after the fashion of his country. Am I making an unfair request of you? Never mind the manner, which may or may not be good, but think only of the truth of my words, and give heed to that. Let the speaker speak truly, and the judge decide justly. Nice work, Tim. Yeah, uh, I think I only made like three mistakes, so it's not too bad. So <laughs> <laughs> good. It's pretty okay. good to hear uh, Socrates getting straight to the uh, heart of matters, that these are a bunch of lion SOBs. and uh, <laughs> You're translated, you're a bunch of sons of bitches, and you made it all up. Pretty much, you softest bastards. <laughs> <laughs> um, that Tom Brady scene, not Tom Brady, um, what's that guy's name? What's that movie? Uh, there's that Legend Rubes where the guy plays two people at the same time. Yes. Uh, Tom, Tom, what's his name? Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy? Yeah. Now when he walks in, he's like, wankers! <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of right now. Is that scene. <laughs> oh, yeah, in the pub, he shows up for a fight. Yeah. And he yeah. walks out. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm going to take... That's been used for every single meme possible. I'm going to use that and um, just put, like, Socrates at the trial walks in. Wankers! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right so yes um how you or athenians have been affected by my accusers i cannot tell so obviously they've gotten to speak first as you said before and um he's already sort of saying to the jury i guess um these guys have said some things um i like it give me the chance yeah. I think it's a really subtle but clever opening because he's he, he basically says, um, before we go, before we get, he's like, guys, 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 before we go anywhere, I just want to point out their first and most foremost lie. <laughs> he's like, they're telling oh, yeah. you, they're telling you that I'm going to persuade you with eloquence, and he's just like, that is clearly not the case. Mm. I'm just one of you, and that's kind of subtle too. He's almost trying to get them on side. I don't know whether it's intentional, but sort of, he's like, I'm just one of you. I'm just going to talk plainly. I'm going to tell you the truth. And then yep. on the other hand, he's like, um, these people are accusing me of stuff. You can see they're a liar at the out outset because they're telling you that I'm going to um, use eloquence to, to persuade you, which mm. is kind of funny because he's quite eloquent in the way that he points that out. Yeah. <laughs> but having said that, I'm guessing the whole point is he's drawing a distinction between the way that he communicates, which is directed straight towards truth, and the way that they communicate, which is like with flowery language and, and rhetoric and all that sort of stuff. Well, I think the thing too, you know, he's pointing out that they've got this like really well-rehearsed speech that's like polished to uh, 
you know, uses fine language or whatever it may well be. And he's like, well, look, I'm going to talk to you like we're just down the Agora because that's how I talk, right? So I'm just going to flow uh, what comes into my head. <laughs> that's it. That's what I always do. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, it's good of him, I think, to point out the irony that they're accusing him of, you know, uh, pouring honey in their ears through his eloquence when that's exactly what they've done before he's stepped up. So, uh, you know, yeah. that's... Uh, that's pretty good. I mean, he does kind of admit that he may be eloquent, but just that it's a different manner of speech. So, uh, you know. Well, yeah, I think he says that his eloquence is just that he actually says the truth. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's right. But I love that he pulls it like the, he's like trying to pull at the strings of like, I'm just a 70 year old dude who's never been here before. Yeah. Like, don't, <laughs> don't be mean to the old guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Classic Socrates, classic shoeless Socrates. Totally, totally. Yeah, in his Crocs. <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's pretty good. All right, um, shall we move on to the next paragraph? Sure. All right, this one isn't as long, so let's go. And first, I have to reply to the older charges and to my first accusers. And then I will go on to the later ones. For of old I have had many accusers who have accused me falsely to you during many years. And I am more afraid of them than of Anitus and his associates, who are dangerous too in their own way. But far more dangerous are the others who began when you were children and took possession of your minds with their falsehoods, telling of one Socrates, a wise man, who speculated about the heavens above and searched into the earth beneath, and made the worse appear the better cause. The disseminators of this tale are the accusers whom I dread, for their hearers are apt to fancy that such inquirers do not believe in the existence of the gods. And they are many, and their charges against me are of ancient date, and they were made by them in the days when you were more impressible than you are now, in childhood, or it may have been in youth. And the cause, when heard, went by default, for there was none to answer. And hardest of all, I do not know and cannot tell the names of my accusers, unless in the chance case of a comic poet. All who from envy and malice have persuaded you, some of them having first convinced themselves, all this class of men are most difficult to deal with, for I cannot have them up here and cross-examine them and therefore I must simply fight with shadows in my own defence, and argue when there is no one who answers. I will ask you then to assume with me, as I was saying, that my opponents are of two kinds, one recent, the other ancient, and I hope that you will see the propriety of my answering the latter first, for these accusations you heard long before the others, and much oftener. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, interesting. Um, I guess uh, you know he, he'll go on to ex explain, I suppose, about these um, about these ancient ones. But it's quite interesting to to think about the fact that he doesn't feel like he knows who his enemies are, and that they're sort of uh, everywhere in the shadows. But he can't actually have, I think, a, that direct, you know, Socratic dialogue with them to be able to uh, to talk things out. So I think he's just trying to set the scene that um, it's going to be kind of hard to uh, to confront something when they won't confront him. 
So he's going to have to kind of talk about that before, um, you know, we can get on with talking about who these new accusers are. It's it's almost like he's addressing the mob mentality with this. Mm. You know, like totally. there's there's a collective consciousness of people having an issue with him, but he can't name the specific person that's driving it. What, what do you think, Rubes? Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I agree. It's it's uh, it's like he's saying, um, how can I how can I argue with a public opinion, mm. you know, and that's, I think that's why he points out is like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of this comes from people just being told stuff when they were kids and they've just imbibed it and that's what they think, but they don't really have any good reason to think it. That's, that's the inference that he, I think he's trying mm. to get people to address. Yeah. It reminds me of a quote. I'm just going to quickly look it up. Well, there's one that he calls out that's kind of funny though, because uh, and I know he'll sort of raise it again. He explains it later. Yeah, but he's saying like I do not know and cannot tell the names of my accusers unless in the chance of a comic poet, because I know who that bastard is and I'm going to call him out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which is right because apparently there was a very uh, popular play at the time called clouds i can't think of the author you might have it there Lachlan. well actually they they talk about it in uh two more paragraphs so we'll get that that evanus evanus yeah uh uh is is the uh, yeah i don't know okay the quote i was just thinking of it's from marcus aurelius um which is the object in life is not to be on the side of the majority but to escape finding oneself in the ranks of the insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what I, that came to mind. I, I could see the quote, but I couldn't recall who said it. I, I thought it was a realist, but I wasn't 100% sure. But that's kind of what that reminds well, me of, is he's trying to not be in that majority and trying to demonstrate where his logic is and that that, or that, that majority is actually quite crazy. It is, well, um, it, it's an interesting yeah. thing to point out, um, particularly because we see that now, um, just, you know, with the way that our culture goes, where someone says something that people don't like and all of a sudden their business deals are getting, getting canceled and, yeah. you know, they're getting contracts canceled or they're getting fired from their jobs and all that sort of stuff. Like, if you think about it, that individual, if he'd said something, even if it was specific and it was wrong, How's he supposed to redress that? Hmm. Like, who is he? Yeah. Who is he going to argue with? Who is he going to apologise to? And, quite and you often, see that now. You see that now when someone does something wrong, they're like, "Oh, we want a public apology." Apology. They make a public apology, and then they just tear them down and spit them out anyway. Yeah. It's like, well, who is he apologising to? But but quite often it's people being offended on behalf of somebody else that isn't actually offended anyway. Yeah, true. Well, that's that's and that's the centre of the problem, isn't it? Because hmm. you can't sit down with the actual offended party because there isn't one. That's right. It's a, it, you know, it's a, it's a public opinion. Like he says, like the shadows, like arguing with shadows. Yep. I think the other thing he's just trying to do is point this stuff out to make people aware perhaps of their own bias and make them feel accountable for their bias. So that as yeah. we enter into this discussion, remember that you've probably been told this stuff as children. So maybe try and park that 
let's have a discussion about it now and make your own mind up rather than sort of bringing the bias to this to this discussion. Yeah, it's pretty clever in that sense, isn't it? He, he's putting it on the individual. He's taking that collective angst and putting it on the individual and saying, uh, basically saying, ask yourself, why do you even think this? Mm. Yeah, have you actually met me? Do you know me? Have you spoken to me? Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, eh? Like, he's a celebrity without any of the perks of being a celebrity. Yeah, I think he calls that out later on too. Yeah, Yeah, he dresses that later too. (laughs) It's one of his defences. Well, I'll I'll read um, the introduction to his defence, I guess, so the next paragraph. Um, Well then, I must make my defence and endeavour to clear away in a short time a slander which has lasted a long time. May I succeed, if to succeed be for my good and yours, or likely to avail me in my cause. The task is not an easy one. I quite understand the nature of it. And so leaving the event with God in obedience to the law, I will now make my defense. Uh, Just before we continue on, what do you guys, any comments on that? Well, I think he's um, certainly bringing God in just as a, a part to show that um, he's been doing this in, in, in truth and all this sort of thing. So I'll put it in God's hands because uh, God is the protector of truth and you're all calling me atheist as well. So let's just pull that forward a little bit, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's one yeah, of the charges, he, isn't it? Yeah. And that will make more um, sense as he goes on when he starts to explain why he is who he is. Hmm. All right, well, uh, I'll continue. I will begin at the beginning and ask what is the accusation which has given rise to the slander of me and in fact has encouraged Miletus to proof this charge against me. Well, what do the slanderers say? They shall be my prosecutors and I will sum up their words in an affidavit. Socrates is an evildoer and a curious person who searches into things under the earth and in heaven, and he makes the worse appear the better cause, and he teaches the aforesaid doctrines to others. Such is the nature of the accusation. It is just what you have yourself seen in the comedy of Aristophanes, Aristoph Clouds, who has introduced a man whom he calls Socrates, going about and saying that he walks in air and talking a deal of nonsense concerning matters of which I do not pretend to know either much or little, not that I mean to speak despairingly of anyone who is a student of natural philosophy. I should be very sorry if Miletus could bring so grave a charge against me. But the simple truth is, O Athenians, that I have nothing to do with physical speculations. Very many of those here present are witness to the truth of this, and to them I appeal. Speak then, you who have heard me, and tell your neighbours whether any of you have ever known me hold forth in few words or in many upon such matters. You hear their answer, and from what they say of this part of the charge, you will be able to judge of the truth of the rest. Mm. So just um, quickly in my usual fashion, I had a bit of a, a dig in on um, what that uh, Aristophanes cloud play was about. So, um, oh, okay, cool. I, I'll give you a, a quick snapshot if you like. Yeah, please. Um, 
yeah well, i was just curious it, it, it's funny enough it seems like the play itself is not particularly popular or successful um but i'm sure like being publicly mocked um would obviously have been an unpleasant sort of thing although i'm not sure if socrates would have really cared anyway because that's sort of a stoic thing not to kind of worry too much about it um but in any case it it, it was a bit of a um a mocking sort of session i suppose the the basis for the play yeah yeah yeah. the 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 basis of the play sounds pretty ordinary and the the playwright poet was an arrogant twit i reckon um i mean maybe maybe tongue (laughs) firmly in cheek but but i mean it's just ironic that it didn't actually appeal to audiences at the time anyway um he presents some views about uh, it's there's like a school that socrates is in charge of teaching people um you know philosophy but it's just really sort of they make a mockery of it all that's just really sort of um dumb sort of stuff you know he's up in the clouds you know um looking at the natural order of things and trying to uh you know they're, they're just like lampooning socrates as basically a, a sophist and um just spouting all this kind of nonsense um so funnily enough i mean there is some speculation around like what the um what the purpose of it was whether it was just kind of ignorance on the part of the writer or if it was like purposeful sabotage because there'd been that sort of stoush between the poets and the philosophers and um <laughs> you know because socrates has a pretty low opinion of of the poets he does. And, um, um, so there's, there's that sort of angle. Um, and then the, there's another angle that sort of kicks around as well, saying, well, you know, uh, Socrates did sort of like look into some sort of like random um, sort of stuff before he sort of got into his philosophical stride. So they're saying that they're actually judging him a little bit on maybe his sort of like pre-Socratic thought, Socrates, uh, where he was kind of focusing on... Um, physical speculation. I'll, I'll talk about physical speculation too, because I didn't know quite what they meant by that. And uh, I see Rubes is kind of smirking on that as well, because because he, he mentioned that as well. I have I have nothing to do with physical speculations. I was like, what's he talking about? Um, but that, that links into the uh, atheist accusation. So um, from my understanding, and Rubes, I get you to chip in too, but it sounds like when you're trying to observe the natural world and trying to find um, uh, physical real world explanations for things that are deemed typically to be enacted by the gods or, you know, they, they were sort of referencing that he's, you know, looking at the heavens and he's looking at, you know, what's, what's under the ground and it's trying like to sort of realism sort of thing. Yeah, maybe, I, I don't know. Uh, is that how you took it Rubes? Yeah, that's my understanding of it. Um, that, um, I'm sure there's more nuance to it, but if if you had to draw a current like a a, a current day analogy, um, it is exactly what he's talking about is materialism because there were um, actually priests. They call them pre-Socratic, just just means prior to Socrates philosophers, and I can't give you their names off the top of my head. That were basically atomists. One in particular who basically said, oh, the reality is made up of atoms. Or maybe not. He, he may not have used the word atoms. I think we probably appropriated that later, but whatever word he used. And, and he's, he basically said, the idea there is that everything is just physical. 
everything is just made up of uh, material and physics. And okay. therefore, there is no such thing as God. So they, they actually did have schools of thought that are similar to what in our day and age we would probably call science. Um, I mean, that's a complicated question and probably a long discussion, but um, I guess you, you, it's called uh, the technical term is naive empiricists, which is probably a, a term term from the 1900s, or today we just call them we would just call them uh, materialists, who essentially mm-hmm. say that everything can be explained by um, material explanations and that there's nothing beyond that. Okay. And that's a pretty funny accusation to make against a guy who, like, when you read the Republic, um, that's not evident. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's way off pace. Way off pace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it does. It does seem like a bit of a uh, a bit of a strange charge to to label on him. Um, mm. Yeah, I did do some a little bit of digging. They did say that he did used to experiment a little bit with that train of thought early in his philosophical career, but it's probably like really before he was a philosopher even, and he's like a young man in his twenties or something like that. And just thinking about the world and, and questioning things, um, which, yeah. you know, that's any, any, any man's right to think about the world and trying to explore ideas and things. Right. So 100%. But interestingly, he even says, I've got no, because that's not a criticism of natural, what I think he says, natural philosophers. Yeah. So basically there's nothing wrong with people that try to explain things that way. Hmm. Um, but I think the inference there is there'd probably be a problem if you try to explain everything that way. For um, sure. And I think um, that, yeah, you're right. That's pretty clear from his, uh, what we were provided Plato's giving us an accurate account. It's pretty clear from everything else that he said in his lifetime. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think the wording is carefully constructed, though, um, which I think we see a bit later around the accusation in regards to the gods. So I think they maybe adjust it or tune it somehow to try and work around that issue. Yeah. I forgot for that bit. I have to wait and see. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's um, let's read the next bit. If, if there's nothing else you guys want to discuss from that part. No, you're right. Okay, here we go. As little foundation there is for the report that I am a teacher and take money, this accusation has no more truth in it than the other. Although, if a man were really able to instruct mankind to receive money for giving instruction, would, in my opinion, be an honour to him. There is Gorgias of Leontium and Prodicus of Sios and Hippias of Elis, who go the round of the cities and are able to persuade the young men to leave their own citizens by whom they might be taught for nothing and come to them whom they not only pay but are thankful if they may be allowed to pay them. There is at this time a Parian philosopher residing in Athens of whom I have heard and I came to hear of him in this way. I came across a man who has spent a world of money on the sophists, Callias, the son of Hipponicus. And knowing that he had sons, I asked him, Callias, I said, if your two sons were foals or calves, there would be no difficulty in finding someone to put over them. We should hire a trainer of horses, or a farmer probably, who would find 
or who would improve and perfect them in their own proper virtue and excellence. But as they are human beings, whom are you thinking of placing over them? Is there anyone who understands human and political virtue? You must have thought about the matter, for you have sons. Is there anyone? There is, he said. Who is he, said I, and of what country? And what does he charge? Even as the Parian, he replied, he is the man, and his charge is five minae. Happy is Evenus, I said to myself, if he really has this wisdom and teaches at such a moderate charge. Had I the same, I should have been very proud and conceited. But the truth is that I have no knowledge of the kind. My daughter walked in as I was um, reading this paragraph, so I read it to her just to see what she thought. Mm. And um, she's like, I don't understand. <laughs> so I read it a second time. And then she was like, oh, I get it. So if you've got like a horse, you get a horse trainer to like teach it, be a good horse. I'm like, yep. And, and she goes, and then he's saying, if there's a cow, you get a farmer and it makes it a good cow. Yep. And she goes, so then he's saying like, what do you do for your children? Like, who's a good person to put above them? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what he's saying. And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so my daughter doesn't know the answer. <laughs> well, she's on Socrates' side then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that. Um... Sorry, what's that? You go. Oh, because that's what he, I was just saying... say. he doesn't begrudge the bloke because yeah, he asks this guy and this guy names a guy that he's paying to teach his kids or whatever. He doesn't begrudge him for it. He goes, "Oh, good luck to him." And he goes, "That's not that's even a reasonable price for that kind of knowledge," which I think mm. if you ask him, you would say that kind of knowledge is priceless. How to live a good life? Like that's the ultimate question. Um, and he goes, oh, that's yeah, that's a decent price. And he doesn't begrudge the guy. He just simply says, well, I just, I couldn't sell that kind of knowledge because I don't have it. I wouldn't claim to have it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting the um, the angle he takes on that. I mean, it, it's funny that they would charge him, like lay that on him as a charge that, uh, you know, he's, uh, oh, he's making money for teaching people. It's like the concept now, it's like, yeah. Teachers get paid. Like, you know, like, how is this an argument? But it's also, well, like, actually, everyone's getting paid. All the sophists do. Is anyone not yeah, getting yeah. paid? Like, everyone knows he's not getting paid. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that well, is the yeah. irony because, you know, there he is, you know, uh, barefoot and uh, probably disheveled and what have you. And uh, yeah. <laughs> still got the cocktail sauce down there from the last meal he stole from, <laughs> um, from barbecue or something. But, um yeah, it's just funny to kind of like label him who's like quite open about how frugally he lives and isn't interested in the finer things in life. Again, it's just really quite funny, you know, something that we see is like so clearly as part of his character um, that these sophists think they could just kind of like turn that argument like completely 180. Yeah. Like, even so from, you're right. Even from if you've like, we haven't read a heap of Plato, but we've read the Republic, and just from reading Republic from start to finish, you kind of listen to this and you're like, nah, nah, yeah, doesn't dude. make sense. Which is yeah. what he's trying to point out, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I, the guy throwing charges at him probably charges people for for what he teaches. <laughs> <laughs> It's just projection. It's yeah. just projection. Yeah, it's terrible. 
Um, I like that description where he goes, I came across a man who has spent a world of money on the sophists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's the same thing. He's like instantly throwing the shade straight back at them. You're accusing me of this, yet the sophists are here lining up with their hands out to get paid. So <laughs> what are you trying to say that I'm doing that you're not doing? <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, it's interesting. I listened... Um... I listened to a couple of lectures from a bloke called Peter Kreeft, who's a, a philosophy, a, a Catholic philosopher. Um, and he, yeah, he commented on it. He's like, I don't, he's like, I don't know whether Plato would approve of what I do. He's like, I, <laughs> I'm a, you know, I'm a university professor. I get paid to teach. He's like, um, you know, does that make me a sophist? <laughs> um, he's appealing to the mob. Well, <laughs> my nickname on teams is Timbo the sophist. So, um, I can assure you I haven't made a cent off um, <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Yes, like... This podcast is still uh, sponsor-free. and uh... <laughs> it's, a, it's a labor of love and my annual pocket money budget gets spanked. <laughs> um, but I'll keep doing it because I love it. But um, parking that, like... We all kind of a sophist, right? Like I, I have a job where I run other people and I'm also part of that role is to mentor other people, which means I'm meant to be teaching them things I know. Hmm. So, you know, that, that's something I do. I, I'm not sure if that's, you know, how you guys view your job, but like I'm expected to know things and to be able to teach other people to know those things. So that's okay. Does that make that sense? <laughs> it's it's only if uh, maybe you're uh, only teaching false doctrine of your business to uh, placate the minds and bend them to your will. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm not teaching truth, yeah, that's right. Yeah, if you're teaching truth, I think you're fine, even if it's uncomfortable, right? Cause that's not what the sophists do. They, they appeal to the, the easy wins and try to get the crowd on side to swing their arguments and all that sort of thing. So I think, I think you're probably safe. Yeah. I'm going to think that I'm not because then that means I might be. <laughs> uh, there you go. I see what you're doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. That seems to be the right way. Your epic <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, did, I, did any of you research who um, Evenus is? No, no. Miletus is the accuser. I did just a little bit. Yeah, I did a little bit. So apparently Aristotle refers to him as well. Oh. So, um, and he doesn't seem to throw any shade at him, and neither does Socrates. So um, the thoughts are that yeah, he might have been maybe a sophist, but Socrates never threw shade at him and Aristotle quotes him and doesn't throw shade at him. So they probably think he's all right. He's a decent yeah. sort of dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's all I was able to find on him. I think there's only like a handful of things about him, maybe 10. So it's pretty thin, the amount of information they have on him. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, um, let's continue. 
Okay, so I'll read the next one. I dare say, Athenians, that someone among you will reply, Yes, Socrates, but what is the origin of these accusations which are brought against you? There must have been something strange which you have been doing. All these rumours and this talk about you would never have arisen if you had been like other men. Tell us then, what is the cause of them? For we should be sorry to judge hastily of you. Now I regard this as a fair challenge, and I will endeavour to explain to you the reason why I am called wise, and have such an evil fame. Please to attend then. And although some of you may think that I am joking, I declare that I will tell you the entire truth. Men of Athens, this reputation of mine has come of a certain sort of wisdom which I possess. If you ask me what kind of wisdom, I reply, wisdom such as may perhaps be attained by man, for to it, or to that extent I am inclined to believe that I am wise, whereas the person of whom I was speaking have a superhuman wisdom which I may fail to describe, because I have it not myself. And he who says that I have speaks falsely, and is taking away my character. And here, O men of Athens, I must beg you not to interrupt me, even if I seem to say something extravagant. For the word which I speak is not mine. I will refer you to a witness who is worthy of credit. That witness shall be the god of Delphi. He will tell you about my wisdom, if I have any, and of what sort it is. You must have known Cherophon. He was early a friend of mine, and also a friend of yours, for he shared in the recent exile of the people, and returned with you. Well, Sheriffin, as you know, was very impetuous in all his doings, and he went to the Delphi and boldly asked the oracle to tell him whether, as I was saying, I must beg you not to interrupt, he asked the oracle to tell him whether anyone was wiser than I was. And the Pythian prophetess answered that there was no man wiser. Cherophon is dead himself, but his brother, who is in court, will confirm the truth of what I am saying. <laughs> mm. I love this bit. <laughs> yeah. I just love because he has to keep saying this is what twice or three times he's like he's like, Alright everyone, settle down. Let me speak. <laughs> Calm down, you unruly mob. <laughs> but I mean <laughs> understandably so, because if you want to summarize a bit, you can say he goes, Oh, well, I've I got a witness for you. But uh, the god of Delphi, yeah, he says that uh, I know some shit, so <laughs> you, all can, you all can calm down, all right? Let me introduce you to a friend of mine. He's called God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the atheist calls his first witness God. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. yeah it, it is a pretty uh, ironic thing that... Um, yeah, that this is his character witness and, um, you know, given the charges. <laughs> so you can, kind of, yeah, you can kind of understand why maybe the crowd was uh, getting a bit unruly at that point in time. <laughs> I like how he tries to steal man, his opponent's argument as well, but then he just drops this little thing in there like, you know, oh, of course we don't want to, like, mistroll you. <laughs> like, he, yeah. He's like, I'll put forward your best argument, but I'm also going to represent that you're, like, better than you probably are behaving. Yeah. So, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Well, to be fair, he does go on to say that, you know, it's not like the god of Delphi spoke directly to me. He's like, 
Or he, he's going to say that a friend of his spoke to the. It's not just him. There's a a, a, a a bloke has spoken to the prophetess and sort of verified something. But then he goes on to say, "Yeah, but he's dead, so you have to talk to his brother." Yeah, Cherifin's brother. <laughs> that dude over there. <laughs> Go talk to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> credibility that it's that it is a third party rather than uh, than just himself having received a, a prophecy or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. All right, um, I'll, cont- I'll continue then. We can get to the punchline. Oh, hold on. I just, oh, you go. Yeah. I do. I do think it's sort of a bit of a funny argument. Argument in the sense is like, essentially, he's addressing something that he's assuming people are going to think. He's thinking, well, if you are outright saying that none of this happened, and it's all rubbish. He's like, he knows that in people's minds is going to be, but why would someone make that up? Like what they're mm-hmm. accusing you of is almost so ridiculous, why would they make it up? Which, you know, in itself is, is kind of a, an interesting way to think about it. But in some senses, it makes sense. Like, if you say, oh, such and such did X, and that and X is just something that's kind of ridiculous, at a certain point, you do think, well, okay, that sounds crazy, but why would someone make that up? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what he's addressing. He's like, why, why would... I'm saying you're all full of you're all full of it. I'm going to explain to you where it's come from because I, I need to address the fact that like I'm in I'm here I'm in a court of law. I have all these prominent people accusing me of things. Let me explain to you how that something like that can happen when it's so untrue. Yeah. Hmm. So it's a clever thing to address, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Hmm. All right. Well, um, I'll read the next bit. Why do I mention this? Because I'm going to explain to you why I have such an evil name. When I heard the answer, I said to myself, what can the God mean? And what is the interpretation of his riddle? For I know that I have no wisdom, small or great. What then can he mean when he says that I am the wisest of men? And yet he is a God and cannot lie. That would be against his nature. After long consideration, I thought of a method of trying the question. I reflected that if I could only find a man wiser than myself, then I might go to the God with a reputation in my hand. I should say to him, here is a man who is wiser than I am, but you said that I was the wisest. Accordingly, I went to one who had the reputation of wisdom and observed him. His name I need not mention. He was a a politician whom I selected for examination. And the result was as follows. When I began to talk with him, I could not help thinking that he was not really wise, although he was thought wise by many and still wiser by himself. And thereupon I tried to explain to him that he thought himself wise, but was not really wise. And the consequence was that he hated me and his enmity uh, was shared by several who were present and heard me. So I left him saying to myself as I went away, Well, although I do not suppose that either of us knows anything really beautiful and good, I am better off than he is, for he knows nothing and thinks he knows. I neither know nor think that I know. In this latter particular, then, I seem to have slightly the advantage on him. Then I went to another who had still higher pretensions to wisdom, and my conclusion was exactly the same, whereupon I made another enemy of him and of many others besides him. 
Yeah, so, so now we start to see why uh, people hate him and uh, are talking smack about him, right? Because he's calling them out as shysters who know nothing. <laughs> I was talking about this. Uh, I don't know whether you're on when I was saying this. This is basically Socrates' origin story, bro. Mm, totally. Yeah. It's um, yeah, it's pretty neat. I mean, uh, was this did this come up actually in Republic, or were we talking in Republic about you know how Socrates says he knows nothing? Was it? Were we talking about that in Republic? Yeah, because the, the I think um, one of the guys says, "Oh, he comes the false humility of Socrates, or something like that." Like, right. yeah, like yeah, he brings it up a few times in, in the Republic, doesn't he? But not explicitly yeah. as as explicitly as, as this, but. He does say that sort of thing every now and he's like sort of kind of like, well, but what do I know? <laughs> yeah. I think it's kind of good to hear it in this context because then I think you understand where he's getting at though, right? And, um, you know, it, it, it's not a false modesty. I mean, it's, I, I think it is that sort of, you know, genuine thing where he goes, you know what, I'm just a curious guy. I ask lots of questions. And uh, I ask people that I think know more than me, and sometimes I find out they know less, you know, so. <laughs> well, I mean, his argument is basically, I don't know anything. Mm. They don't know anything because yeah. when, I, when I ask them about stuff, they can't explain it. Mm. So at least I know I don't know anything. So yeah. I know something. Yeah. Which yeah, means I know that I know nothing. Wise. I don't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's yep. pretty good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, going up to a whole bunch of uh, powerful politicians and obviously publicly, because he's saying there's other people around listening, uh, yeah. publicly telling them that, uh, you know what, uh, you don't know shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of no wonder that he's. He, he's never accusatory. Like I don't, he, I don't think he's ever gone up to someone and gone, "Yeah, yeah, yeah you're full of it." You just mm. keep asking him questions, and then they get the shits because they can't answer them. Well, they just they just look stupid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we sort of saw that in his technique when he was questioning um, Adamantus way back in the Republic. Ah, uh, yeah. Like, I mean, he didn't, he didn't make him look stupid, but that, that was his approach. He's like, oh, so you say X. What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Like that annoying kid that's like, why? 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Um, do you think that's why Aristotle said knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom? Uh, yes. <laughs> Short answer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think so too. Okay, um, I'll continue. Then I went to one man after another, being not unconscious of the enmity which I provoked, and I lamented and feared this, but necessity was laid upon me. The word of God, I thought, ought to be considered first. And I said to myself, Go, I must, uh, go I must to all who appear to know, and find out the meaning of the oracle. And I swear to you, Athenians, by the dog I swear, for I must tell you the truth, the result of my mission was just this. I found that the men most in repute were all but the most foolish, and that others 
less esteemed were really wiser and better. I will tell you the tale of my wanderings and of the Herculean labours, as I may call them, which I endured only to find at last the oracle irrefutable. After the politicians I went to the poets, tragic, dithyrambic, and all sorts, and there I said to myself, you'll be instantly detected. Now you will find out that you are more ignorant than they are. Accordingly, I took some of the most elaborate passages in their own writings and asked what was the meaning of them, thinking that they would teach me something. Will you believe me? I am almost ashamed to confess the truth, but I must say that there is a is hardly a person present who would not have talked better about their poetry than they did themselves. Then I knew that not by wisdom do poets write poetry, but by a sort of genius and inspiration. They are like diviners or soothsayers, who also say many fine things, but do not understand the meaning of them. The poets appeared to me to be much in the same case, and I further observed that upon the strength of their poetry, they believed themselves to be the wisest of men in other things in which they were not wise. So I departed, conceiving myself to be superior to them for the same reason that I was superior to the politicians. <laughs> yeah, so uh, no, no surprises there, um, you know, laying the <laughs> poets again. <laughs> this didn't surprise me. I've, I've heard Peterson talk before about how artists sort of um, try and tackle Intuition. ideas before the great thinkers do because they can sort of sense that there's something there and they're trying to articulate it, but they don't fully understand it. Um, so when I read this, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because um, I, I think Peterson's on the money with that. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, they op operate off in intuition. Mm. That's um, I've heard I've heard a comedian basically say something similar in the sense that um, they don't sit down and reason things out per se, but they just see incongruity, and then they just run at it. You know what I mean? Like they just they make fun of it and they talk about it, but they don't really know what's going on. They're not, they're not explaining the way to live and how to solve things, but they're just pointing out the incongru incongruity and it's, it's by intuition, not by, you know, some kind of, uh, I mean, I'm not saying comedians are not intelligent. I'm sure but a lot of them are hugely intelligent, but hmm. that's what it is rather than, you know, some wisdom. Yeah. Like an emotional intelligence or something like that. Hmm. Well, and I think the other thing is too, like if you think back to Republic, you know, we're talking about things like the artists and, you know, that we're often talking about like that they are just providing a representation of something else that they've seen. And so it's just, it's, it's kind of a copy in their own view of, of something rather than something unique, I suppose. Mm. Um, and that's not to take anything away from artists, but I think when it comes to, um, truth and understanding or whatever. I think that's what he's sort of saying, you know, they're giving you a representation, but it doesn't have that, that depth that comes along, you know, with the real understanding, I suppose. So. Yeah. I'm not even sure that he's critical of that. I think he's just honest about it because then he goes on to say, um, but then they believe themselves wise in other things. And mm. I think that kind of the inference there is that that's where the problem lies. The problem is not, in their method or their brilliance, but the fact that they then go beyond that and think that they're wise or think that they know things that they don't. 
Um, like actors and, um, from Hollywood giving speeches about things they don't know anything about. hundred percent. That's exactly yeah. what I thought about. You know, like mm. Hollywood directors and actors telling people how to live their lives, and it's like, well, just because you're good at making movies or pretending to be someone else, doesn't mean that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. No, for sure. I think, I think Socrates would have said the exact same thing about them. They're like, yeah, you're brilliant. Um, you've got, you know, a certain type of intuition or inspiration, but um, that doesn't mean that you know about other things. Well, that exact thing was called out in the Republic too. I, I'm trying to remember the example. I think it might have been like a, uh, like a saddle maker or something like that, and that they have a certain excellence in saddle making and they are the expert, absolute peak they know everything there is to do, to know about that, but they don't know anything about anything else. Yeah, so they're yeah. only experts in their in their field, and it doesn't make them automatically an expert in everything else. And that's right. People, he even he even pointed out that that's right. He even pointed out that uh, even the best saddle makers, so to speak, are not necessarily the best riders, and they hmm. might have to go to the rider and, and ask them how to change things and make things better. I think he used the example of flute there or something. Like they're not the best flute flautist. Yeah. <laughs> they're just... not the best at playing flute, but yeah, the, the, the ones that made the flutes would have to talk to the people who played the flutes about the best way to make a flute. Yeah. Cause they're experts in making, not experts in playing. And so everyone has mm. their own excellence that they need to rely on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. I'll uh, continue. I reckon we've got maybe two more bits to discuss and then I'll do for the week, so I'll read the next one. At last I went to the artisans. I was conscious that I knew nothing at all, as I may say, and I was sure that they knew many fine things. And here I was not mistaken, for they did know many things of which I was ignorant, and in this they certainly were wiser than I was. But I observed that even the good artisans fell into the same error as the poets. Because they were good workmen, they thought that they also knew all sorts of high matters, and this defect in them overshadowed their wisdom, and therefore I asked myself, on behalf of the oracle, whether I would like to be as I was, neither having their knowledge nor their ignorance, or like them in both. And I made answer to myself and to the oracle that I was better off as I was. This inquisition has led to my having many enemies of the worst and most dangerous kind, and has given occasion also to many calumnies. And I am called wise, for my hearers always imagine that I myself possess the wisdom which I find wanting in others. But the truth is, O men of Athens, that God only is wise, and by his answers he intends to show that the wisdom of men is worth little or nothing. He is not speaking of Socrates. He is only using my name by way of illustration, as if he said, He, O men, is the wisest, who, like Socrates, knows that his wisdom is in truth worth nothing. And so I go about the world, obedient to the God, and search and make inquiry into the wisdom of anyone, whether citizen or stranger, who appears to be wise. And if he is not wise, then in vindication of the oracle, I show him that he is not wise. And my occupation quite absorbs me, and I have no time to give either to any public matter or interest, or to any concern of my own. But I am utter, I am in utter poverty by reason of my own devotion to the God. Here we go. I mean, uh, it's interesting because you know, 
I suppose like we'd been thinking about too, some of his poverty being derived from wanting that purity of um, not being tainted by the, the lust for wealth or the trappings of or anything like that. Um, but, you know, this has got a bit of a different angle to it as well. You know, it's, um, it's interesting to hear him talk about this as though this is his life's work in the service of God, which, um, I wouldn't have guessed previously to this, if you know what I mean. It's a weird sort of service though, because he's, is it in the service of God or is it like he's searching to try and find whether or not God is right? Like it's, it's, do you get what I mean? Like, it's not like he's like, God is right. And so I'm going to go do this thing. It's like, I'm going to test if God's right by going to do this thing. I think that's through his own self doubt though. In, in himself, not in God. Hmm. So how think... can I be the wisest when I know nothing? Hmm. So it just doesn't make sense to him. So he's trying to find meaning in that uh, in that statement. I think he's giving. I think he's giving the meaning. I think he's accepting that he doesn't know anything, and he's accepting that uh, that God's that the God or God or whatever however he refers to it has put him on this path. And he gives a reason why they're why he's like, he basically says, God's put me on this path because it's my job to show people that God is the only wise one and to well, confound think, their, their alleged wisdom. Well, I think that's what he's landed on after he's sort of yeah. gone through this journey. Yeah. You know what I mean? Through the journey. Yeah. Yeah. So to start with, I think he's probably sort of got that just doubt in himself and he's like, like, nah. Okay, that's come from God, but I can't be the wisest guy. Like, I don't know squat. So, but then, you know, he's talked to, a, you know, 150 wise guys who know nothing. So you know, <laughs> he's starting to understand maybe, okay, maybe this is yeah. why this, this is why this is the way it is, you know? I think, yeah, I do think he is the whole point of what he's saying is that uh, the only reason I've been labeled wiser than everyone else is that I know that I'm not wise which is interesting mm. but i also think it's interesting yeah well i mean this is in this paragraph he gives the reason why because he started out trying to explain well why would i be accused of these things and he gives the reason in this paragraph he's like because the hearers always imagine that i myself possess the wisdom which i find wanting in other people so he's basically yeah i'm going around and i'm, I'm proving that other people don't really know what they're talking about which is mm. you know how this whole thing came about because I've never claimed to be wise. You all just think I'm wise because I can make other people realize that they don't know what they're talking about. It doesn't mean I'm wiser than them. It just, it just means that uh, I can break, break down their ideas and, and, and it sounds like they're wanting. That allegation like was made in the Republic too against him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who's the guy that he's like scared is going to jump over the table. Who's that guy? Oh, I don't remember the name. Yeah, Thr Thrasy Marcus, whatever his name is. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's Thrasymachus, but Thrasy Marcus. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he basically calls that out. That like, you know, you can pull things apart, but, you know, what do you think? What's your solution? Mm. And, uh, yeah. It takes a whole book for him to come up with something. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, just out of interest too, like, because I was curious because he keeps um, referring to the God, which I thought was kind of... Um, funny so because i was like oh because i know we sort of had those sort of like vibes of uh 
like a monotheistic sort of view from Socrates in the Republic from time to time. Hmm. Uh, but actually, uh, I just looked up. So um, Delphi um, was a sanctuary dedicated to Apollo. So I think when he's referring to the god, he's talking about Apollo specifically. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just out of interest. <laughs> I think that's helpful. I need yeah, to brush up on Apollo. Yeah, Apollo. Uh, yeah, Holden Apollo. That's it. You see, like, is, is Apollo is Apollo above Zeus or? Uh, I'm. Oh, that's a good question. I can't remember. I remember when we uh, looking into this when we were looking at the Republic, and I can't remember. Uh, yeah. So Apollo was the god of practically everything, including but not limited to music, poetry, art, prophecy, truth. Archery, plague, healing, sun, and light. Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah, so Zeus is king of the gods, but Apollo, I think, was one of the major gods. But Zeus was yeah. king. I think that's the difference. Yeah, one of the most widely revered and influential. So yeah, yeah, yeah just just thought it was un unusual. The god just it was just a funny parlance I thought to use, but it makes sense, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Apollo was the son of Zeus and Leto. There you go. There you go. Jared Leto's offspring. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Jared Leto. All right. Um, one more to read, I reckon, and then we'll wind it up. Sure. Okay, Hold on. Let me okay. start the next paragraph with "There is another thing." Yes, uh, he does. But after that paragraph, it's like that's when he moves on to the second class of accusers. So I think yeah. if we right. read this one, it wraps up the first class of accusers. Good call. Good call. Okay, here we go. There is another thing, young men of the richer classes who have not much to do, come about me of their own accord. They like to hear the pretenders examined, and they often imitate me and proceed to examine others. There are plenty of persons, as they quickly discover, who think that they know something, but really know little or nothing. And then those who are examined by them, instead of being angry with themselves, are angry with me. This confounded Socrates, they say, this villainous misleader of youth. And then if somebody asks them, why, what evil does he practice or teach? They do not know and cannot tell, but in order that they may not appear to be at a loss, they repeat the ready-made charges which are used against all philosophers about teaching things up in the clouds and under the earth and having no gods and making the worse appear the better cause. For they do not like to confess that their pretense of knowledge has been detected, which is the truth. And as they are numerous and ambitious and energetic, and are drawn up in battle array and have persuasive tongues, they've filled your ears with their loud and inveterate uh, calumnies. And this is the reason why my three accusers, Miletus and Anitus and Lycan, have set upon me. Miletus, who has a quarrel with me on behalf of the poets, Anitus on behalf of the craftsmen and politicians, Lycon, on behalf of the rhetoricians. And as I said at the beginning, 
I cannot expect to get rid of such a mass of calamity or calamity of it, but I cannot expect to get rid of such a mass of colony in a moment. And this, O men of Athens, is the truth and the whole truth. I have concealed nothing, I have dissembled nothing, and yet I know that my plainness of speech makes them hate me. And what is their hatred but a proof that I am speaking the truth? Hence has arisen the prejudice against me, and this is the reason of it, as you will find out either in this or in any future inquiry. Ah, I got tongue-tied at the end there. <laughs> uh, calumny, in case you're wondering, uh, is just another word for slander. Um, yeah, okay. He mentions that a couple of times. Calumny. That's it. Such a massive calumny. When I was re-watching HBO's Rome the other week, the actor who plays, um, what's his name? Mark Antony. He is brilliant in that role. Absolutely brilliant. He should have won awards for that role. Um, yeah. and there's one part where, uh, one of the characters suggests that they should do like the morally right thing and return some money or something. And he just goes, snivelry. <laughs> That's the best line ever. Like, snivelry. <laughs> like, I have to use that word at some point in time. <laughs> All right. So, um, what do we think about the, the young dudes who go and watch Socrates wreck some people? Um, I feel like if it was modern day, they'd probably have a quote of Socrates smashing someone and do like thug life glasses or all this is going like, whoa, like that. It feels That's like, it. yeah, dank memes or something. <laughs> <laughs> you just need uh, Socrates doing some mic drops at the end, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> No, look, uh, I suppose you could sort of see the the appeal for um, the young guys because, you know, young people always like to challenge authority too, right? That's kind of a, almost like a yeah. rite of passage. And um, probably watching this guy, how he kind of turns their words around on them um, to uncover their, their own, um, how do I put it, um, gaps well the, the, well, the errors in their own arguments if you yeah. know what i mean because that's what he does um you know you'd have to think it'd be like super amusing for these young guys so you can understand the appeal to kind of like let's get on board with this and uh you know we can go you know challenge some other guys with this this stuff and of course like the uh the older established guys you know of course they'd be getting the shits because they, they start getting torn new ones by these young bucks coming through <laughs> who, who picking up on what Socrates is putting down. So, um, yeah, look yeah. at some, it, it's interesting. And, and I guess like, it, it's funny to sort of hear, I suppose his frustration that like, and I'm copping the blame for it, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I'm just doing my thing. I'm, I'm not yeah. like actually trying to like, organize these youngsters to like go out there and like you know pull apart democracy or whatever else um yeah. you know they're just watching what's going on and picking up picking up the vibe yeah they're taking the method and they're doing something with it that's that's their cool yeah. that's that's not me i like how he yeah. lists everything that he just worked through like the poets mm. and the crafts dudes and the you know yeah, finally yeah. the rhetoric people like he's just like <laughs> It's it's beautifully laid out. His defense here. Yeah, I think so. And I like how he goes. And and when they get asked like, "What have I done?" They're like, "Nah, no, <laughs> default answer."
Well, I, th- I think it's just like, oh, nothing. And so they're, they're making up their own excuses, which is the same mm. sort of stuff he's addressing in that, that, you know, beginning argument, you know, oh, he's a evil dude and he's, you know, up there in the clouds trying to tell people that, uh, you know, heaven and the gods don't exist and yeah, they do not out. like to, con- they do not like to confess their pretense of knowledge and has been detected, which is the truth. So basically he's saying mm. these people come and ask him questions. They can't answer the questions. And uh, rather than admit that they just don't know what they're talking about, they want to blame me for it. Yep. Deflect. I actually, yeah. I'm going to give kudos to some doo-doo I can't remember the name of, but on, on social media, um, I was seeing a conversation about God and the Bible and this sort of stuff. And this, this guy was like, you know, God can't be real because so many people read the Bible and no one has the same opinion of, like, no one says the same thing about him. And so I replied to his comment and I just said, if I ask 10 people you know about you, all 10 people will give me a different answer. Hmm. And he Do replied you know back, and he, and that's all I said. I didn't I didn't say you're wrong or anything like that. I just went, here's a fact. If I ask 10 <laughs> people who know you about you, all 10 of them will give me a different answer. And he wrote back, you're right. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> and that was it. And I was like, wow, that dude actually oh. just was like, oh, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> he accepted his pretense of knowledge. <laughs> yeah. I, but I just thought, that's so rare for someone to just go, oh, yeah. <laughs> it caught me off guard. I was quite surprised. Yeah, that's interesting. So... Yeah, I don't know if that's Socratic as such, but I was just pointing out like... No, it is. Bro, that's 100% Socratic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did a thing. I did a thing. Nice one. Nice one. <laughs> uh, but no, look, I, I think he wraps it up pretty nicely there. Um, as far as like laying it out for the old prejudice and all that sort of stuff and why people have got it in for him. Um he sets a scene for the for the crowd pretty well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Well, gentlemen, that's been heaps of fun. I'm really enjoying jumping back into some Plato. It's uh, mm. got a really good sort of feel about it. It's it's fun to read through. There's always something to laugh at, um, but there's also obviously things to think about. Um, we'll skip the pub today because we're over time. Um, so yeah, thanks for joining me this week. For those listening, uh, the Republic wasn't built in a day, and neither Middle Age Gen, Amen. And um, yeah, join us next time as we work through the next part of the Apology, where um, Socrates talks about the second lot of people coming at him. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for joining us, tonight, boys. Good stuff, thank you. Catch us later. Bye. Cheers.